Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, head to www.sexedwithdb.com and buy some of our hot new merch. Follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast. And if you want to advertise with us, shoot us an email at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. In this episode, I get to know Dr. Jess O'Reilly and Marla Stewart, co-authors of the new book, The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay, Techniques and Strategies for Mind-Blowing Sex. Dr. Jess is a best-selling author, television host, and top-rated international speaker. She has worked with thousands of couples to improve communication, heighten intimacy, and deepen connection before they encounter struggles in their relationships. Follow her on all social platforms, at Sex with Dr. Jess. Marla Stewart is a Californian native, a Southern transplant, and a woman with passion, charisma, and integrity to educate and inspire others. She is dedicated to getting people in touch with their body, mind, and spirit, and believes in harnessing love and accepting people for who they are and where they're currently at in their lives. Check out her website, velvetlipssexed.com, or connect with her on Instagram at the number one Marla Stewart and at velvetlipssexed. Give it up for Dr. Jess and Marla. This season, we've teamed up with a pleasure-positive and joyful brand called Smile Makers. Smile Makers' mission is to normalize the perception of female sexuality. They do this by creating elegant vibrators and lubricants and bringing them into our favorite shops. To create their products, they stay up to date with the latest research on female sexuality, but they also work with sexologists to gather pleasure tips that they can share with their community on their blog and on their Instagram, at Smile Makers Collection. Go to www.smilemakerscollection.com to redeem an exclusive offer and get a free bottle of their generous gel lubricant with any purchase above 50 US dollars with my special coupon, SexEdDB. Willy and Pussy kits allow you to make the most personalized sex toys on the planet. Willy is the original DIY dildo kit and Pussy is the original DIY pocket pussy. They're fun to make, sex positive, and completely body safe. Use promo code SEXED20 for 20% off your purchase at www.clonawilly.com. Follow them on IG at clonawillykit. Need a new vibrator? Meet FemFun. With an innovative approach to research and design, FemFun always strives to create products that truly fit all bodies and desires. Not all orgasms are created equally, but with over 20 unique items to choose from, the possibilities are endless. Use promo code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase at www.femfun.com. That's www.femmefunn.com. And don't forget to follow them on Instagram, at femfun. Need an incredible new sex toy that's cheaper than your next bottomless brunch? Say hi to Sweet Vibrations. Sweet Vibes believes that masturbation is a vital part of a self-care routine. Whether you're screaming its praises from the mountaintops, enjoying yourself in the solitude of your bedroom, or sharing it alongside a partner. Simply put, 
They strive to be the leaders that inspire folks to embark on their own sexual wellness journey. Find out more at www.sweetvibe.toys and use promo code SEXEDWITHDB to get 15% off your first purchase. Hello, Jess and Marla. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going today? Good. Thank you for having us. Good. Super happy for you both to be here. Um, I would love to start with you, Marla, if you could just tell us um, your name, your pronouns, and uh, what you do. Yes, I am Marla. My pronouns are she, her, and I am a sexologist, a sex coach, a sex educator. I run my own sexuality education company called Velvet Lips, in which I do workshops and help people uh, build their sexual confidence, um, help them with seduction, communication skills, and enhance their sex skills. And then I also um, co-founded a, a conference called Sex Down South, in which I met Jess. And um, and that is a three-day sexuality conference in Atlanta. It's uh, all about learning during the day, and then we have fun and party at night. And then I'm also, um, I also teach at Clayton State University. I teach about two classes a semester and I, I do a bunch of other things too. So I have a lot of different projects, a lot of different things I work on, but for the most part, uh, my heart is in uh, sex and sexuality and helping people to, you know, uh, get more awareness of themselves and have great orgasms. <laughs> Incredible. Thank you. And Jess, would you mind also introducing yourself? If you could just tell us your name, your pronouns, and what you do. Sure, sure. My name is Jess O'Reilly. I am a sexologist, and I primarily speak for a living. I work uh, a lot in corporate, so either with executives and entrepreneurs and their partners who want to invest in their relationships as much as they invest in their businesses. I also host a podcast, and I know you're going to be on our podcast soon. Yes, I can't wait. Yes. Yeah, the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. It's co-hosted with, with my life partner, my husband, Brandon. And I teach courses online at happiercouples.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much again for being here. So excited to have you and talk about your book and all the amazing things that both of you are doing. Um, I would love for each of you to share a little bit more about your backgrounds, maybe kind of if you had an aha moment or kind of what led you to be so passionate about uh, sex and sexuality and all the amazing things that you both are doing. So for me, um, I was in college and I was studying uh, sex, human sexuality uh, just because I was really interested in the subject. And I think that probably all came down to, um, you know, having my mother be the, the sex positive uh, force in my life. And um, when I was in college, just I had a lot of friends who were coming up to me for sex advice and you know, they weren't having orgasms and I felt like that was a problem because I was having orgasms. And <laughs> so, um, you got to spread the love. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I was just always sort of giving tips and pointers and helping them out. And, um, I was just like, Hey, this is actually, this is what I want to do. And, uh, that's pretty much how I got started from there. I just continued to study and, uh, went to, um, got my BA in psychology and, uh, of course, was studying human sexuality and LGBT studies. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then uh, went to uh, graduate school in Atlanta, uh, where I studied more. <laughs> uh, 
uh, around gender and sexuality and then uh, started my business then. So that was about 10 years ago. So yeah, that's sort of where I am today. But for the most part, it was had to do with the fact that my, my friends weren't having orgasms and I felt like that that really needed to change. And and then living in the South also um, helped me to realize that there are just a lot of people who have a lot of shame and stigma uh, around their around their sexuality and around like who they are and just not really aware of their bodies. So uh, I really wanted to make sure that I help people in that way. Awesome. Thanks so much. And my story is a little bit different because it was less about the people in my lives in terms of personal connections and more about my job. So I was a, I was a high school teacher. And oh, I was really? teaching, yeah, I was teaching at an alternative school downtown Toronto. So many kids, many students who were, you know, involved in the justice system, many students who were mandated to school via their probation terms, and many young people who had to move out of their parents' house at 16 years old when family welfare expires and they had to collect student welfare, which was clearly not nearly enough to live on. And so I had these young people who were already forced to the margins economically, socially, because of their family circumstances, coming to me with sex and relationship issues every day, all day. So from unplanned pregnancy to unhealthy relationships, to abusive living situations, to, you know, doing a lot of heavy drugs, but not doing it in a, in a use way, but in an abuse way and, you know, STIs and not knowing where to go to testing. I remember back then, because uh, it was a while ago, drawing maps to how to get to our local Planned Parenthood. And I'm lucky, and we're lucky in that I, I'm, I'm from Canada, so I was teaching in a place where everybody does have access to universal health care, and so you don't have to depend on your parents to pay. Uh, we're issued what's called a health card when we're very young, and so with that health card, we can access services, and even if you don't have the health card, you can access services, and we do have a you know a very strong healthcare system here. But even still, these young people did not have the source sources and resources and supports that they needed. So I decided to go back to school, study sexual health education from a public education perspective. So my work focused on training teachers to deliver effective sexual health education that is actually of relevance to young people. So with a focus on three topics uh, derived from the Toronto Teen Survey, which was a previous research study, a partnership between multiple universities up here in in Ontario, uh, and the topics that were of greatest interest to them were healthy relationships, HIV AIDS, and pleasure. And so we are looking at, you know, lenses that reach marginalized youth through teacher training. So teachers, of course, do not have adequate training and they're kind of thrown into the fire. And my goal, and still my goal, is to support teachers and students through public education. So that's what I do uh, in my spare time. That's what that's what we do as part of our volunteer mandate with, with my company. And yeah, I think the more we can access people in the public education system and the more resources we can direct there, the better equipped people will be uh, to have healthy relationships, whether those are friendships, domestic partnerships, or intimate relationships. Could not agree more. That is extremely well said. Thank you both so much. That's incredible. Um, So in September, the two of you are releasing The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay. Um, Very fun title. (laughs) Can't wait to dive into that. Um, I would love for you both to tell our listeners a little bit about that project um, and maybe share, yeah, like what's it about? 
Um, what's like kind of the, the ultimate goal of the book? Um, and what are some tips that you all kind of lay out for folks? Well, we explore a range of topics. So the title, of course, is Seduction and Foreplay or the Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay. And actually, they've pushed up the release. So it's coming out very soon. It's coming oh, out it April. Yeah, so it's it's coming out April 14th. So we may be bef- slightly before or <laughs> after that point. Well, that's exciting. Um, that's way sooner than September. That's great. Yeah, we're really, really excited by, by this or about this. And I'm excited for this project. I've written several books, but this is definitely by far the best one, in big part because I got to part, partner with Marla. But we are exploring erotic theory in this book. And seduction is not a precursor. Sorry. Seduction is not a precursor to sex. Uh, Seduction is really sex itself. It is pleasure in and of itself. And we really wanted to take back this term and reclaim the language of seduction because it has been so bastardized by pickup culture. Because of pickup culture, so, so many people have come to associate seduction with manipulation, with pressure, with swindling someone into hooking up or having sex, and they use the language of seduction, these pickup artists, but they conflate it with control, dishonesty, deception, and this is not our version of seduction. We know, and we know that it's not our readers. We know that when we talk about seduction, we are situating consent and mutual desire at its core, and it's not, seduction isn't about getting what you want, it's about giving and receiving pleasure of all kinds so that everybody reaps the ultimate sexual and non-sexual rewards. And so in this book, we explore the emotional elements of seduction and eroticism with some theories that we can talk about, like the core erotic feeling and the elevated erotic feeling. We explore the seduction learning styles, which is so, these are so important. And these are, uh, these are part of a theory created by, by Marla around how your learning style affects how you see, give and receive sexual pleasure we look at uh, different fantasies, and what we're doing is we're exploring the fan- we're exploring the theory and the research, and then we're giving hundreds of action items, so discussion prompts, questions to consider, interviews. We call them seduction instructions and lovers inquiries. So we want mm. people to read and think differently, but ultimately we want to provide some tools for attitudinal or behavioral change. Amazing. That is so awesome. Uh, Marla, anything to add? No, I think Jess got it. That was, <laughs> that was pretty good. It was pretty thorough. Yeah, you but, guys have done this think, before. Well, Marla, I think you, um, I mean, we, we can't even begin to talk about this without talking about the seduction learning styles. So I think it's so oh, yeah. cool for you to explain what those are, because I don't do it as well as you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like with the seduction learning styles, um, it is, it, it's how... What I've realized is just that the way that we get seduced is sort of the way we learn, right? So we think about the way um, how we, uh, if we're a visual learner, if we're auditory or if we're tactile and realizing that if you are a visual person, uh, the way that you can seduce someone is really through, you know, uh, making lots of eye contact, right? or um, removing the clutter from around the house or, you know, making sure your, your room is tidy so all the focus can be on you. Um, making sure you're telling stories in rich detail, you know, dressing really nice, making sure your movements are sort of the opposite of what's going on in the room. So there are really um, sort of key ways to seduce someone based off of these styles. And, 
And again, like if you're auditory, you know, auditory people love to talk, right? And so giving them lots of feedback, asking them questions, um, making sure you're talking to them with uh, different kinds of words or longer syllable words or, um, you know, playing their favorite music. Um, so really thinking about um, how to seduce in a way that is the most effective for their style. So for instance, if someone um, comes up to me and asks me a question and says like, you know, hey, Marla, how was your day? And I usually am going to be like, oh, my day was good. Right. But if they were an auditory person, they might say like, oh, I rolled out of bed this morning and I I didn't really feel well. And then I got in the shower. And then so you really start to notice sort of all these little things um, uh, around, you know, people's learning styles. And so um, with that, the same thing with tactile. Right. Tactile people love to touch. Mm -hmm. So thinking about the different kinds of fabrics you wear, thinking about the ways that you touch them using different pressure points. Um, dancing, you know, things that really make physical connections. So um, I, I just found this to be a really sort of like the base of my work. And I, I really am happy that it's sort of the base of this book and thinking about um, not only our learning styles, but again, with Jess's um, thinking about the core erotic feelings and those elevated erotic feelings, like having those all be the base of, of the, the, the seduction and what you can um and what you can realize and with your sexual potential. Mm, yeah. And you know what this is actually making me kind of think of, and I'm so curious your thoughts on this, if this has come up, you know how like kind of with the attachment style. So there's like, you know, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, secure attachment. And I'm trying to think like, is there, and in that kind of story and narrative, it's kind of like, oh, secure attachers are okay to be with anxious attachers, but avoidant attachers shouldn't be with anxious attachers. Is it the kind of thing where you're thinking about like, oh, if someone is an audiovisual learner, like, should they be maybe matched with a kinesthetic learner or kind of not in the same vein, but has that kind of come up of like, oh, if two people are like learning very differently, like how can we make each other, um, you know, feel pleasure in the way that we want them to, even if we don't learn in that way? Yeah, what I've learned is that if there's a... <laughs> To auditory people, they tend to have a harder time together, mm -hmm. right? Um, because they both want to talk and it's really hard to take turns. Um, and uh, But if it's someone who's visual and auditory, that's pretty good matchup. But for the most part, if you just understand what that person's learning style is, you have a really... Um, you'll have a greater understanding and you'll know how to, to reach them better. Um, so... Is it, uh, it is kind of a, a different kind of uh, understanding their style, but maybe more of a, maybe simplified version of that. <laughs> Not gotcha. necessarily different kind of attachment styles, but. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. But that is a really good and interesting way in thinking about that. And that's definitely what you think about, you know, with education. So it makes sense that this would, you know, relate to folks in the way that they see them themselves and their bodies and their sex lives. And it totally makes sense. So that's super awesome. And I really am enjoying hearing about that. Um, I would love to know a little bit from your all's opinion about how about when you're thinking about physical and kind of emotional capacities that folks are engaging with, why is foreplay um, super important to good sex? And why is it kind of important um, to not just say that foreplay only 
you know, comes before sex, but also that, like, foreplay is sex. Like, foreplay is a part of sex. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, we, we began by writing this book <laughs> with the reminder in the first few lines that foreplay is sex. Seduction mm-hmm. is sex. Sex means different things to different people. And both Marla and I, from our professional as well as our personal experiences, you know, we come from backgrounds where a lot of the material that's out there doesn't really pertain to us. It doesn't reflect our uh, more varied experiences. And so we wanted to make sure that we're being far more inclusive and reflective of the broad range of experiences. So when we talk about foreplay and seduction, we're just talking about pleasure. And when Mm -hmm. we talk about sex, we're just talking about pleasure. And so in this book, what we are trying to explore is all the different dimensions of foreplay and seduction. So I think when we think of seduction, we think of the way you approach your partner and the way you look and the way you talk and your body language and the way you flirt. And sure, that's in there. And we do provide, you know, really specific tips <laughs> on how to flirt with your partner. But also, we're looking at all of the relational and emotional underpinnings that lay the groundwork for the possibility of connection, the possibility of intimacy and the possibility of sexual pleasure. So, for example, we spend uh, some, some a good amount of time in the book exploring emotional seduction, beginning with the concept of your core erotic feeling. And so we define your core erotic feeling as the emotion that you must experience in order to potentially get in the mood for sex. So in order to have sex, I need to feel what? Mm. Now, this is a fundamental need. It's not a guarantee. So, uh, you know, for example, maybe you need to feel relaxed. Maybe you need to feel loved or honored or happy or powerful or playful or stress-free or sexy or desired or challenged or vulnerable. You know, everybody's core. Yeah. Everybody's core erotic feeling is different, but just because you experience your core erotic feeling doesn't mean that you're going to have sex, right? I, I, let's say I need to feel really loved. Okay. That doesn't mean all the time when I feel loved, I want sex. And so it's necessary. Once you understand your core erotic Exactly. It's, it's necessary. And um, we, we kind of walk you through with the different questions to consider so that you can better understand your core erotic feeling and then make the behavioral changes in your life to experience more of that feeling more naturally so that it, all, it almost becomes effortless over time. But once you get your core erotic feeling and you teach it to your partner and you're really communicating your needs with specificity, then you can move on to your elevated erotic feelings. And these are the feelings that take pleasure and sex and connection to a whole other level. So you might find that your core erotic feeling is you need to feel really sexy. Okay, so you adjust your life so that you kind of, you know, mostly feel sexy in in your body and in your mind and in your spirit, however you define it. But then, okay, that's not getting you really, really fired up, but maybe feeling some more subversive emotions and associating those with your erotic experience like jealousy or humiliation or challenge or risk or uncertainty, maybe those feelings take sex to the next level. Because we do describe a ton of touch techniques in the book and we talk about different ways to use your hands and your mouth and toys and whatnot. But those physical techniques really pale in comparison to the emotional experiences you can cultivate when you dive a little bit deeper into your sexual values. And I think if if there's one thing people can take out of this book is really a better understanding of their own sexual needs and values, whether those are practical, emotional, physical, uh, spiritual, interpersonal, relational, because we don't spend enough time on those. And mm. obviously there are a ton of questions and prompts we offer, but uh, if people were to just do a few of them, 
right? If, even if you were to just sit there right now, if you're, if you're not reading the book and answer some of the questions around, you know, your own sexual values and, and, you know, what are the messages you received growing up? What were the sources of those messages? Which of those messages do you want to retain? Which of those do you want to discard? How do you, you like to feel emotionally before sex, during sex, after sex, all of these questions, if you can just take a few minutes to contemplate them, they're going to lead to uh, richer considerations and certainly more fruitful discussions when and if you decide to hook up with partners. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It, it What you're saying is making me think a lot of therapy and just like the tools that <laughs> therapy like give people in terms of being able to really delve deeper into how people are thinking, how they're feeling, how their past kind of experiences impact where they are today. Um, and I, I think that question prompts and really like leading people in that direction is really, really incredible because it allows for them to do that deeper thinking, really get in touch with themselves and their bodies and their, their feelings to really know how to get to the crux of what they're looking for. Absolutely. And I think um, this is an opportunity. There are so many resources out there now so that you can do a lot of that therapy on your own. Of course, if you're dealing with trauma, if you're dealing with, um, you know, anxiety that's, you know, you've been diagnosed, of course, you keep seeing your therapist. And I even tell people that you can take these questions into your therapist. Mm -hmm. So I I host these workshops where I'm doing what's called a brief intervention for three to four hours. Um, I can change the way you think, but ultimately, I can't change your life. You have to take your behavior and change your life with this information. And I tell them, take some of these handouts that I've given you, and you'll find many of them in the book, take them to your therapist and talk about them with the support of a professional who can help you to dive a little deeper. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Can you tell a little bit more about, so certain relationship skills like communication um, and how that is directly related to seduction? And if you talk about that in your book. Oh yeah. We talk a lot about communication um, in the book. The book is all about communication (laughs) actually. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, and what's interesting is that, you know, people talk a lot, like they say, oh, you got, just got to communicate. You got to communicate. You got to talk. You got to talk. But the thing is, it's very difficult to do that. It's very difficult to bring up subjects. And um, that's why I really love this book, because it actually gives you the prompts. It gives you the questions to say, like, hey, you know, um, how do you want to feel? How do you want to be seduced? Like, what are the things would would you like to try? Do you like this first? Do you like this second? And so they're really detailed questions that you can, can use from the book. Um, but with communication, you know, I always say that there are direct communicators and there are indirect communicators, right? And so, um, uh, a lot of times if you've been socialized as female, the way that you communicate uh, can be a little bit different, right? So you might say something like, um, it's cold in here, right? And uh, for someone who is a direct communicator, I'm like, okay, that's fine. It's cold in here. <sighs> but that and that's how I would understand it, right? But for other people, they go automatically into interpreting, right? So if I say it's cold in here, what do you probably think it means? Are you, is this a rhetorical or you're asking me? Yeah, yeah, I'm asking you. Um, I'm asking you. I mean, it probably would mean like, oh, maybe I should shut the window or if something's, you know, someone should get a sweater. 
Okay, and like five different responses. It means like, oh, here's a sweater. Oh, maybe I should turn up the heat. Oh, maybe I should close the window. Oh, like there's so many different responses or um, interpretations of that statement. And so um, us as people, we just need to realize like how we're communicating if we are direct communicators or indirect communicators and what that means for our partners. Do we need to interpret? Or do we need to encourage our partners to be a little bit more direct, right? Like. For instance, um, like I said before, I'm a direct communicator, communicator, but my wife is a very indirect communicator, right? And so she'll say something, and I'm like, I don't know what that means. Trying to like right? decipher it in like a yeah, like equation I, in your head. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I don't, I, I can't, I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> so you need to go ahead and, and be more explicit. Can you be more explicit, or can you give me an example of what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, because that that's the way she grew up, right? Like that's the way that, um, and that's the way a lot of us grow up. Mm-hmm. And so um, that is, I think, is really just important around communication, just understanding, you know, direct versus indirect communication. And then just also just being more explicit with our words, you know, just not beating around the bush right. and saying what you um, mean. Going, yeah. Totally. Yes, I'm a really big I- fan. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jess. Oh, no, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I'm a really big fan of direct communication is all, as I'm sure a lot of people are. Just like I find that to be most effective in my personal life, in my life with my relationship, in my life with at work, in my life with my parents. Like just like really being as open and honest as possible leaves what I find to be the least amount of kind of miscommunications and disruptions in like what is most efficient and like fun and playful and whatever. Um, so I love that that's a major theme of your book. Yeah, I love writing things down. I always say that I'm here to suck the romance out of relationships. I actually have couples, <laughs> like really, I have them put down relationship plans, make commitments in writing because there is no space for miscommunication. If, if it's actually, I mean, there's less space for miscommunication. Right. And I think a big part of it is like, for, for instance, I, I'm also a fan of direct communication and I really struggle with it. Um, I, I really struggle with people pleasing, uh, with being too nervous about upsetting people. And so one thing we're encouraging people to do is think, think about our own communication styles, because of course, most people, especially people who I think would read a book like this, cause it kind of falls into the self-development, self, self-help category. We do believe we're good communicators and then we can still get better. Like I think about some of the reflections we ask people to take the time to consider, like, do you remember the first time you ever talked about sex with a partner? Mm. Right. And how, how did that go? Because that initial early formative conversation can still take a toll on how you communicate today. And, you know, how have you changed and grown since that conversation? Um, When was the last time you started a conversation about sex? How did you initiate the conversation? And we talk about kind of formulaic approaches to talking about difficult topics, like the, the sandwich approach or the three-part approach of starting with the positive, making an offer, and then making your request. But so many of us, because we can't get over the barrier of speaking up until we're frustrated, instead of asking for what we want and, you know, beginning with the positive, making an offer and making a request, we start from a place of frustration or from a deficit. Like we say, oh, you never kiss me anymore. Mm. Instead of saying, man, it feels so good when you kiss me. Is there anything that, like, do you want me to kiss you in a certain way or in a certain spot? Or And then following up with the specific request, which, is, which isn't which is just kiss me more. I want you to kiss me more. <laughs> but it's something specific like, oh, I would love if when you walked in the door, 
before you pet the dog or before you hug the kids, you'd come over and really give me a kiss at night. It would make me feel so good. And then if you can add a benefit, like I just feel like feeling connected will increase our chances of getting it on later or something like that. Mm. And so, you know, communicating obviously is important and all your therapists are going to talk about that. But I, I also think people, myself included, we need the language, like we need the practice. And I think coming from a teaching background, uh, we In sexual health education, we talk about something called the IMB approach, so information, motivation, and behavioral skills. And if we want to effectively teach sex ed, uh, this is a model we follow because you can't just provide information. Uh, you need to make it relevant, which is the motivation. And like, because you can think about some of the videos you saw when you were young, like of the sperm swimming toward the egg, not relevant only informational, and there were no behavioral skills. So one thing Mm. we do in schools is we know that role plays are absolutely essential. As silly as they are, as much as the students mess around, role plays are likely to result in young people actually enacting positive behaviors, like Mm -hmm. using condoms or delaying sex or saying, yes, I want sex, but I would like it this way. And so I think it's the same thing for adults. We need to give them the opportunity, give us to practice these behavioral skills. Because I don't know, even for folks like me who have no problem, you know, doling out the advice, I struggle with following it. I need the practice. Mm -hmm. As we all do, as you said. Um, Yeah. So transitioning a little bit into solo sex and masturbation. So, um, you know, as we know, if we get into our bodies a little bit more and when masturbating, we figure out what feels good for us, then partnered sex um, is more pleasurable because you have the ability to share with your partner what feels good for you. Um, So I'm wondering um, if you talk about this in the book in terms of how individuals during solo sex can incorporate seduction and eroticism. Yeah, we sure do. And I think, you know, masturbation is probably the most important thing you can do for yourself sexually, if we if we think about the physical side, because it breeds confidence and, and sexual experience. Mm-hmm. And we, we spend some time on mindful masturbation in the book. I would challenge everybody today to think about the next time you're masturbating. Can you not treat it like a tune-up and not rush through it, but actually treat it the way you might treat partnered sex, you know, taking, maybe take out orgasm out of the equation to begin with and just touch yourself for pleasure for 10, 15, 20 minutes without trying to orgasm, to touch your whole body with hands, lube, massage oil, toys, uh, different textures, especially if you're kinesthetic, Um, change your breathing patterns while you masturbate, change positions, We talk about, you know, coupled sex always with an emphasis on variety and novelty, and we don't bring the same, I think, effort and energy into solo sex. So uh, there's so much you can do on your own and whether, you know, some people don't want to have a partner. Some people enjoy masturbation more. People with vulvas are more likely to orgasm from masturbating. Mm -hmm. It's the partner that, that tends to get us in the way. And then almost all of the techniques in the book, whether it's the W or, (laughs) um, you know, the, the Claudia or any of the different moves we teach, because we do get into the, the, the fun, easy nitty gritty of it. You can do most of those to yourself as well. And we talk about, you know, different toys that you can play with to have different types of orgasms. Um, and of course not with, with a checklist or anything like that, just with the purpose of, you know, pleasure and feeling good in your body. But I, I do think um, it's a good reminder to myself, actually, that 
mindful masturbation is something I maybe haven't done in a couple of months. I'm kind of usually just rushing to get off. And, and I remember how powerful it feels in my body and how much more connected I feel to my body and how much more confident I feel sexually when I take the time for mindful masturbation. Mm, absolutely. And I think it's also, yeah. And I think it's also important too, to, to vary it up, right? We always know like the ways that we can have an orgasm. So I feel like the, the, the ways that we can improve upon that is just to, um, try a different technique, try a different hand, try a different area of the house, try, you know, try all sorts of ways so that you can be more informed about the, the different ways that you are, that it's possible to have an orgasm instead of that one rushed orgasm that, you know, you always try to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really like taking your time and like exploring is really, really awesome and definitely gets you more in your body and, um, really connects like mind and body I find. So that's awesome. Um, okay. A couple more questions we got here. Um, you know, at the end of every episode, we've been kind of doing a, a mini Corona corner just to really kind of um, see how each of these issues that we talk about in each of these episodes um, are exacerbated or worsened or what have you um, during this pandemic. Um, and we've all spent, you know, a lot more time at home alone, um, most of us at least, who are fortunate enough to do that. Um, you know, some folks are, <clears throat> depending on their job and what they're doing, are kind of uh, forced to to be either on the front lines or, um, you know, providing food for folks or what have you. But for those of us who are home alone and on the internet more than ever before, um, how would you say we could use technology to really help people have satisfying sexual experiences? Oh, so many ways. I'm, I'm so excited for, for digital sex. Uh, I think that it's going to perhaps change the way we communicate when we date. I'm, I'm wondering if people are going to move more slowly and more thoughtfully with their words when they're texting. Uh, we talk a lot about digital sex, actually, in this, in this manuscript, in this book. And we talk about how, you know, texting can be not just words, but images and gifts and voice notes. I'm a big fan of voice notes because I'm an audio person. And I, what I find is that the sound of my partner's voice uh, doesn't just turn me on. It certainly does. But it also just makes me feel safe and comfortable and soothed. And that's a big part of seduction is just feeling the connection. So uh, I think that, you know, voice notes can be really sweet, but also very sexy. Uh, we talk about different ways to... Uh, take pictures if you want to feel, you know, say you want to sex, but you're feeling a little bit nervous. Maybe you don't know this person that well. Just leave your face out of it or take pictures in the dark so that they kind of have to decipher the images. If you do decide to move on to video, uh, both Marla and I, I think have recommended that you check out some of the cam model sites because they they're doing it professionally and we have a lot to learn from them. But also don't feel pressure to do everything on the spot. So you might rather than having kind of phone sex, maybe you pre-record some video messages and you kind of send it like as a drip campaign to your partner. Or same thing for videos. If you do eventually, you know, elevate or progress to video sex, can you do it in the dark or bring yourself off camera a little bit so you don't feel so self-conscious? Listen, if you're already there and you're like, oh man, I, I can masturbate on video for this person, no problem. That That's cool. But most people aren't there. I know I feel very shy mm -hmm. on video with my partner. Like in person, and I'm like, whatever. I don't, I mean, I've, had, I've, had, I've had lots of sex in public and at clubs and stuff. 
like that, but there's something about one-on-one video that feels very intimidating to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, you know, so I think that there are lots of different ways to play and to connect. And I just posted some dating ideas on Instagram for people who maybe met somebody, but can no longer hook up with them in person because you're living separately to pick a meal, like, I don't know, lasagna or stir fry, and you each make your own, but you don't compare recipes until after. So you're probably going to come up with something very different. You can play Yahtzee and Scrabble and House Party and all these different things online. Uh, I know some people are really into, let's say, fitness. I am not, but I know a lot of people are very into fitness. Uh, If you're both into fitness, like, you know, fitness people tend to date fitness people, you can kind of make up a 10-minute workout and then do it with them. So, and I actually am really optimistic that video dating might force us to tune in more carefully to body language and eye movements and facial expressions and tone because we're not distracted by everything else that's happening. Like normally you meet up in a bar or a restaurant or a cafe and there's a lot going on, but on video, it's actually very intimate. It's just the two of you. And yes, I know you can't touch. We're missing that sense, but I think it will help to heighten the other senses. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, Marla, any thoughts on this? Um, I think <laughs> just so, so thorough. I feel like I'm like, you guys what else team. can I add to that? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the video is definitely um, helping us to take more time to slow down, um, to really get to know each other, to really uh, be creative, you know, in our sex lives and, and really, um, uh, just try to think outside the box and not be so restricted, um, on, on, you know, on, on what we've done. So, um, I I feel like this is definitely a, um, a time where we can, um, take the time to, to explore different avenues and, um, yeah, like, yeah, get creative. Love it. Amazing. Um, if you all could share where folks are going to be able to buy the book, um, maybe your social handles where listeners can follow you after this episode, if they want to get some more content, um, you can go ahead and share those right now. Sure. Um, you can get the book hopefully at your local feminist bookstore. If not, of course, Amazon always has it. And Jess and I will definitely have it up on our sites. Um, and uh, my handles, my social media handles are Velvet Lips Sex Ed, that's sex without the E, and um, one Marla Stewart. So those are ways to get in touch with me, or you can go to velvetlipssexed.com. Awesome. Jess, do you want to share your handles? Yeah, you can find me online, sexwithdrjess.com, and on all social media at sexwithdrjess.com. Perfect. And if there's maybe one kind of last message that you want to leave listeners with, um, that's whether it's something you learn through writing this incredible book um, that I cannot wait to read, um, or if it is, you know, something that you really want to make sure folks remember or know moving forward about seduction and eroticism, um, what would your message be? Look for pervertibles in your home. I love that. Uh, And yeah, I think seek pleasure, but also no pressure. I think this is a tough time for everybody. We're all feeling pretty distressed right now. So if you 
are making the energy to have the hottest sex of your life, good for you. And if sex is the farthest thing from your mind, that's also okay. As long as you're, if you are in a relationship, you want to be talking to your partner or partners about what you're feeling. Sex Ed with DB is supported by Ioba Toys. Ioba Toys started in December 2018 when Francesca and her husband Martin decided to tackle a problem that always bothered them with sex toys, the noise. And so the Oh My G, a super silent G-spot massager sex toy, was born. Use promo code SEXED25 for 25% off your purchase at www.iobatoys.com and follow them on Instagram at ioba.toys. Creating a homemade dildo or a usable copy of your own penis is rapidly turning into the new standard in ultra-custom sex toys, thanks to Clonawilly. Clonawilly has been all about dick since 96 and brings you a DIY penis or vulva molding kit for your favorite sex toy or memento. Whether it be for a birthday, Hanukkah, or just because, Clonawilly is the perfect gift. Use promo code SEXED20 for 20% off your purchase at www.clonawilly.com. Sex Ed with DB is supported by FemFun. FemFun empowers all to take control of their pleasure and sexuality by putting the most powerful products on the market into your hands. Electrify your intimate life with 15% off your first purchase. Go to www.femfun.com and enter promo code SEXEDWITHDB at checkout. That's www.femmefunn.com. Follow them on IG at FemFun. Our creator, co-producer, sound engineer, and host is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Katherine Cohen. Our main logo and banner graphic were created by Andrea Forgotch. Our social media intern is Leslie Lopez. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Our ad music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. If you're interested in advertising with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on Insta at sexedwithdbpodcast. Tune in next time. <laughs>